You find us here in the second week of a brand new series uh, entitled Encounter. And we're looking at what it means to encounter Jesus. And uh, last week we looked at the five hallmarks of encountering Jesus. Ready to set the scene and lay the foundation for these next few weeks. Where we're going to be looking at stories in the Gospels of people whose lives were transformed when they encountered Jesus. Jesus, because that's what happens, hey? You know, when you encounter Jesus, your life changes. Sure, it doesn't change overnight necessarily, but you find yourself on an amazing journey of transformation. And uh, as I said last week, I believe this is a year of increased encounters with Jesus. You know, we've just had an amazing 2019, and we started this year by thanking God for all that he's done in us and through us. But I've got to be honest, that's just the start. And I've been hearing such wonderful stories of transformation as people encounter Jesus. But let me tell you, there's more to come. And this is a year of encounter. You know, I have uh, in this role the pleasure and privilege of speaking and praying and crying and laughing with so many of you. And I met such a wonderful person uh, last week who shared such a wonderful story of encounters. And I thought, you know what? It would be great if we had him up here to share his story. And so can you welcome, please, Angus to the stage. Let's give him a hand. Come on up, Angus. Wonderful Angus. So good to see you again. And you, yeah. It was only a few days ago, wasn't it, we met? So Angus, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'll hold this for you, oh, there you go. Um, yeah, so I'm 19. Uh, I've been in Vineyard Youth for six years. Uh, absolutely loved it. And then last January, I decided to move to Wauwan, Perth in Australia wow. and do missions across uh, Asia and Africa. That is quite a bold move. So how did you find it? What, what kind of stories? I mean, you shared an amazing yeah. story with me last year, what happened last year. Um, so yeah, we went to Tanzania on missions and uh, uh, we were praying over like which direction to go in evangelism and I felt God say to go right. Uh, so wow. our whole, whole team went right um, and I got talking to the chief of the village. It was about uh, 200 people in the village. Um, well, I think we got a photo actually. Yeah. Let's put a photo up of Angus and the chief. Look at that, hey? That dude's got some cool sunglasses. So what happened with the chief? Um, yeah, so uh, I was sort of, I shared the gospel with him through two translators, so it's wow. quite difficult, but um, yeah, eventually got through, and uh, he gave his life to Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Let's give the Lord a hand, hey? Wow. What an encounter. Yeah, and... Um, so yeah, I went back like a week later to see him and we started discipleship um, and I felt, yeah, I felt God give me a word for him and also he repented from witchcraft and drunkenness. Oh, um, wow. And yeah, I'm still talking to him now, I've got his WhatsApp, so. Um, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is amazing. So he started going to church, which is it's really good because culturally men don't go to church. Uh, in Tanzania, so it's yeah, really good to see that. God, is amazing. God yeah, yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, so amazing. Now, tell me, how did you encounter Jesus last year? I mean, that sounds like quite an adventure. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's been a, a really good year of a lot of growth. Um, and yeah, just seeing God move. Um, yeah, just um, I think personally, God took me through a lot of pride and yeah, really showing my identity as his son. Wow. Um, but yeah, I've loved sort of growing and hearing his voice and. Yeah, being obedient to him. That is amazing. So what's next? Um, yeah, so I'm going back uh, this week or next week. I'm not too sure. Um, 
and I'm going to uh, join staff. Um, so I'll be staffing DTS. Um, I think sports DTS at the moment, and also uh, joining the media team. So doing the design for the base. Um, that yeah, is so excited. That isn't that amazing. That is so good. You know, what I love about Angus is his, he, he said, we listen, and God said, turn right. Can I just say, we should be listening and be obedient, because obedience always trumps convenience, right? And I love, I love the story of Angus, how he encountered Jesus, and it not only changed the chief, but changed him. And that is just so wonderful. And you know what? Let's all be challenged, adults. You know, our youth are doing amazing, amazing things. So you know what I want us to do? Let me just stand, and let's just pray for Angus and our youth. You know, let's just send him out with our blessing. So why don't you extend the right hand towards Angus as I pray. Let's just pray for him now. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we just want to thank you for what you're doing in and through Angus. Come Holy Spirit, come now. We want to thank you for his courage and his boldness to listen and to act. And boy, he's seeing the fruit. So would you come now, Lord Jesus? Just equip him again as he goes out next week. Pour out your blessings upon him. Holy Spirit, would you come now and just anoint him afresh to do that work that you've called him to do. We pray for favor with those that he meets, the boldness for those conversations. We pray for your provision in every area. And we pray for your protection as well, Lord. From the moment he leaves his house here until he arrives and everything else that he does over there, Lord Jesus. We claim the blood of the Lamb upon him. And Lord, I just pray that he would see new, new things and hear new things from you. And Lord, indeed, we pray for the rest of our youth. We thank you for them. Thank you that they're such a challenge to us. We pray your spirit would rest upon each one of them. And that each one of them would be world changers, we pray. In your precious name. And everyone said... Amen, amen. Now, listen, Angus has got some newsletters about where you're going, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you want to find out more, Angus, you'll be what? In, in the atrium yeah, somewhere? Yeah, uh, one of the tables. Go grab Angus. Why don't we give him a hand as he has his head down. Bless you, Angus. I'm going to give this to Trevor. <clears throat> you see what happens when you encounter Jesus. The chief. Hey, he's at church now. He repented of his sins. I mean, that is amazing. Because... Angus had the courage and the boldness to talk about Jesus. You know, that opportunity is there for each one of us. Sometimes we need to listen, and sometimes we need to act. We know where we need to go. And maybe you're here in that place this morning. You know what God's telling you, but uh, you, just, you, know, you just need some courage. Well, as, as God said to Joshua, how many times take courage? I am with you. I love that story, and so we're going to continue unpacking Encounter, and we're going to look at uh, one of my most favorite of stories. Um, it is the wedding in Cana, the wedding of Cana. So why don't you turn with me to uh, John uh, chapter 2, 1 to 11, and we're going to read this together, and what I'm going to do is we're going to run through it together and see what we can learn from this amazing story. And you won't find any, any, other, any of the other Gospels, John is unlike the other gospel is not a synoptic gospel. In other words, it doesn't follow the same synopsis. John kind of fills in the blanks for us. And so we find this story in John chapter 2. We're going to read together verses 1 to 11. It will be on the screen as well if you haven't got your Bible. Um, can I say, get a Bible 
your smartphones are great too, but then you can't beat paper. Um, and I'm a bit old-fashioned like that, but anyway. Uh, here we go. You ready? On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Huh, what a great story, hey? I love that story, not only because I, I appreciate some wine, I use the word some, I appreciate good quality wine, but can you imagine what would have presented to oneself as they walked into this wedding party? You know, let's just, let's just understand what's happening here, you see, because Jesus is about to kick off his public ministry. It says here this was his first miracle, right? So this is his, his first miracle that's going to kick off his whole ministry. It's a big deal, isn't it? Now, with the, with the greatest of respect to our Lord, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't have started with this miracle, I'll be honest with you. And I say that with the greatest respect. If I was Jesus, you know, I've been in business for so many years and working with in-house PR people and agencies, you'll, you'll learn the power of firsts. You know, if you're going to launch anything, it's always about the first. The first, this big thing, world first, this, that, and the other. But Jesus didn't do any of the big firsts, did he? He turned water into wine. Really? Uh. I mean, just to clarify, I can't do that, of course. <laughs> but if I were to measure that on a scale of impressive, 10 being extremely impressive, I would rate this at about four or five, if I'm honest. Jesus, like, think about this. You're about to, you want to get some cut through, right, in the press. Why not start with a healing? That will be impressive. Failing that, in fact, why not do it, raise someone from the dead? That is the way you want to start a public ministry. Not turn some water into wine at a wedding, really? But we all know Jesus wasn't wrong, right? <laughs> Jesus wasn't misfooted by his mother. He was very intentional. He had thought this through. You know, it says in the scriptures that Jesus only did that which he saw the Father do. This wasn't an accident. This was very intentional. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Why? Why start with this miracle? Well, let's just understand this. You know, Jesus was here as a guest, as we know, with his friends, some of his friends and his mother. 
And weddings at the time of Jesus were not weddings like today. They went on for a long time. In fact, between five and seven days. Did you know that? Yeah, they knew how to partay. I mean, that's a long wedding celebration. And uh, wedding, weddings typically went on for as long as they had the wine, right? And I've done a bit of research, and autumn is the best time for a wedding back in Cana because the harvest had just come in and they had enough wine and the vintage was sorted. And also the nights were, were cool enough that all the village could be outside and celebrating into the early hours. You can imagine the scene, can't you? It would have been wonderful celebration of these two people married. And uh, everyone brought something to the party. You can imagine Aunt Mavis, she brought her best dish and Uncle Fred, he brought his dish. And everyone brought something. Now what was the role of the, of the bridegroom? Did he have a job? Yes. He had one job. Do you know what it was? Bring the wine. Exactly. Bring the wine. Don't have to do anything else. You concentrate on that. So you can imagine the poor groom. He would have totted up the numbers, done some times tables. Well, I think everyone would have so-and-so. And then he went off to Majestic Wine. No doubt benefited from free glass hire. And he comes all chuffed, I'm sure, having worked it out. And the party's going full, full uh, swing, and then all of a sudden, catastrophe is about to ensue. We read in the story that the mother of Jesus says to Jesus, they're about to run out of wine. In other words, it was going public. It was almost like, you, you guys better get your coat. I think the party's a bit over. What are you talking about? It's only day one. Now, shame was about to come knocking on the poor groom's door. You can imagine his, his new wife. Are you kidding me? I sorted all of this out. You this dress, the flowers, the catering. I mean, do you want me to go on? All you had to do was the wine. Are you kidding me? Poor groom. Now, I have some level of affinity with, with this story, I have to be honest. Uh, I've never said this before. This wasn't the wedding at Cana. This was the engagement party at Palms Green. And um, so, Steph and I have been married for over 15 years, I'm safe to say that, yeah. And uh, we got engaged, and um, we had a family party, and then we decided to have our friends around. I had a place at the time. And <laughs> it's true. Steph said, I'll sort out the food, you sort out the drink. I thought, that can't be difficult. So, I totted up how many people were there, genuinely, and I got all the drink. And anyway, the party started, and about an hour and a half, two hours in, we were running out of wine. What I hadn't appreciated was... Uh, the fact that her friends enjoyed rosé so much, which was all the thing in the early noughties. So I had to go out to the offie next door and get some more Jacob's Creek rosé. In fact, I did that trip three times. <clears throat> and the only reason it wasn't four times is that there wasn't any left on the shelf. So I can appreciate what this groom is feeling somewhat. But you see, this groom did not have an offie around the corner. The party would have ended, save for the fact of one thing. He invited Jesus to his party. You see, when you invite Jesus to your party, he saves the day. That's what happens here, you see. Good job he had Jesus at his party. And you see, Jesus steps in. He, he didn't have to. It wasn't his responsibility. He was a guest. And yet he did. He stepped in. Why? I've got one word for you. Mercy. Mercy. And so if you want a title for this talk, it is this. An encounter 
with mercy. You know, I love this definition of mercy that I found. It's this, love that responds to human need in an unexpected and unmerited way. Unexpected or unmerited way. You see, mercy is unwarranted. We haven't done anything that requires or deserves mercy. Mercy, you see, is more than a feeling of kindness and a desire to care for someone. Mercy demands more than feelings. Mercy is action that helps the helpless. Did you know that? Here is this poor groom, helpless, and yet Jesus didn't have to, and the groom hadn't done anything to warrant it, and yet Jesus saves the day. And that's what we see here with this story. But you know, there's more to this story than meets the eye. You see, while this was a temporal wedding party, which so showed the mercy of Jesus towards the groom, saving the groom from shame and embarrassment, even though Jesus didn't have to step in. More fundamentally, this story shows the eternal wedding party which is to come. You know, in the days of this story, weddings were arranged, and I know in some parts of the world that is still the case. Well, guess what? God the Father has arranged a wedding like no other, and we're all invited. You know, it says in Revelation 19:7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb, that is Jesus, has come, and his bride, which is us, his church, has made herself ready. You want to know where we're heading? We're heading to a wedding party like no other. And what is the one job of the groom? To bring the wine. Jesus brings the wine. You see, as Jesus gathered with his friends before he was taken to be crucified, he said this, take this wine, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. You see, the wedding party that we're all invited to is made possible, not because of what we have done, not because we're smart and figured out how much we needed to bring with us, but because Jesus has brought the wine. <laughs> that is mercy. And what we see, you see, in this story, it is quite amazing. You see, what we see in this story is that the old wine, right, had run out. And what does that old wine represent? It represents the old covenant. The old covenant had come to an end. The covenant of law which was laid out by Moses, where our relationship with God was made possible through the law and the sacrificial system. This covenant had showed itself to run dry. <laughs> but here's the thing, it was always going to come to an end. It was never designed to be permanent. It was always going to run dry at some point. It was instead designed to show that on our own, we would always fall short. On our own, we could never supply the wine. It would always run out because the only person that could supply the wine is Jesus. Jesus. And so because of his great love, his mercy is extended to us, responding to our need in an unmerited way. 
We are saved, guys, not by our works. Because as Paul says, they are like dirty rags. We are not saved by our supposed good deeds. Because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are saved because Jesus saw we had run out of ourselves and he came and brought the wine. And because of his love, he extends his mercy to us, responding to our need of salvation in an unexpected way. The God of the universe came down here, fully man, fully God, and and died for us? Could you write that? How unexpected, and yet he saw that the wine had run dry and he came to pour himself out. You see, love is not just a sentiment, it is an outpouring of mercy. And so let me go back to the first question I asked. Why, Jesus, was this your first miracle? Why not seemingly something way more spectacular, way more impressive, It's because of this. His first miracle would be his final act. His first miracle would be his final act, an act of mercy. You see, this was a prophetic declaration of why he was here. I have come here to die on the cross for this very reason, because you will all run out, and I have come to bring my wine. And here's the great news. We can all encounter his mercy today. It's available for us Today, we can walk in the reality of it. We can encounter his mercy. How? By inviting Jesus to our party. And you know what I want to touch on before we end is, as we unpack this, this story actually shows what encountering his mercy looks like. I want to give us three things. There are are many more than three, but I want to focus in on three on this story. What does it mean to encounter His mercy. Well, this is the first one. Number one, his mercy turns our sadness into joy. (laughs) You know, for the Jews, wine represented, and you can read it throughout the whole of the Old Testament, his blessings and his joy. Whenever it talks about an abundance of wine, it talks about the blessings of God and the joy that comes from it. And I've just said this before. Can you imagine the bridegroom? Shame was about to come, disappointment, failure, regret. I should have timed that by three, not by two. All of those things. How many of us get to that point when we realize we've come to the end of ourselves? We think, oh man, if only I had done this. What am I going to do now? I've made that mistake. How on earth can I move on forward now? Well, in this story, it meant the end of the party. And for some of us, maybe you feel as like this is the end of something for you. But can you imagine the joy on the groom's face when all of a sudden the whispers go around? It's okay, there is enough wine, there's loads of wine. The party can continue. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I was maybe about 14 years old, I was... um, at the church I was in at the time, in a Baptist church, I was upstairs in the youth lounge waiting for some people to come up. And, and I was just thinking about what Jesus had done for me, trying to comprehend the fact that I had been saved, that I wasn't going to go to hell, but I was going to spend eternity in heaven with him. 
And all of a sudden, I started feeling something that I had hitherto not felt. I just started laughing. I couldn't explain it. I just started laughing. It was as if all my cares and my worries had kind of been swept away. And as I thought about the mercy of God, that there was nothing I could have done or can do to warrant his love for me and the fact that he died for me, I just started laughing. I was like, this is the best thing. And I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. And I experienced the joy of the Lord. You know, it says in the scriptures in 1 Peter 1.8, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Can I give you a tip as we continue thinking about how we can thank God? Thank him for his mercy. Because as you focus on what he's done for you and that the party will continue with, with him for all eternity, what rises up is joy. And boy, don't we need joy in the lives that we lead. Life is tough. Life is hard. We all go through challenges. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I have it easy. Let me just tell you that. And so sometimes we need to pause and say, wow, look what Jesus has done for me. He's poured out his blood for me so that I can be at the wedding party with the Lamb of God. Number two, what else do we read in this story? His mercy is always more than. His mercy is always more than. And there's two things here I want to look at. The first one is this, more than in quantity. Now, how many guesses how much wine Jesus made? Anyone want to guess? Well, I've done some work with my calculator and I've got a number for you, okay? So this is how it works. Because we know in verse 6, it says six stone jars which were used for ceremonial washing. Now, FYI, as a side point, isn't that amazing that Jesus took these jars made to wash people clean, ceremonial washing, and he used that to pour out the new wine, which washes us clean? Isn't that cool? I love that. But we know that these ceremonial uh, jars held about 20 to 30 gallons of water, right? So if you do some math, six times 30, that comes to 180 gallons. It's already sounding large, isn't it? Well, if you divide 180 by the size of a bottle, how many bottles do you get? Come on, guys, seriously. No, I wouldn't know either. 1,000. That's a lot of bottles. Now, if you divide that by the number of glasses in a bottle, how many glasses is that? 6,000. 6,000 glasses of wine for a small little village party. Really? So you've got the one groom on the end, one end there, underestimating, and you've got Jesus demonstrating his riches and abundance. They didn't need 6,000 glasses of wine. They didn't need all of that. But as it says in Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs, what? According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Can I just tell you right now, his mercy is more than enough for you. His mercy is more than enough for the mistakes you've made, for the sins you've committed, for the disappointments you faced. It's more than enough for your family, 
and for your neighbors and for your friends. It's more than enough for the people you invite to to church and for the people you pray for on the street. The wine that Jesus brings to the wedding party of the Lamb is more than. Why? Because he died for the whole of mankind. And if you're here this morning and you say, Mark, you just, you just don't know what I've done, though. Let me tell you, his mercy is more than. But you know what? It's just not quantity. It's quality. Verse 10 Everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the gifts have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What? This wasn't just any old wine. This was wine like they've never tasted before, a quality that up until this point no one had ever experienced or knew existed. What things in your life have been tasting like they've been okay? And yet you've realized it's actually the cheap stuff. What stuff have you been running your life with? All the things that have been propping you up. And you know what the mercy of God is sometimes? Revealing that you've run out of it. I tell you that the the best moments I've had in my life are often the moments where God has opened my eyes to the fact that I've been sustaining myself on cheap wine. Things that I thought I needed and I didn't. I remember a time in uni and uh, I told everyone I was a Christian and yet I was living a life that I really wasn't. And you know what someone said to me once? They said, and you call yourself a Christian? And it was the mercy of God that in that moment he opened my eyes and I realized I'd run out of wine. And for some of you, let me just say, you've been drinking the cheap stuff that the world offers And I think the mercy of God is to say, Lord, would you open my eyes to the fact that I need your wine in my life? Because his wine is more than in quality. You see, an encounter with the mercy of God cannot be produced by the hands of men. It is wrought by the blood of Jesus. And that brings me to my final point. His mercy reveals his glory. I'd like to invite the band up. You know, it says in verse 11, at the very end of this miracle, it says this, and it revealed his glory. What is his glory? What does that mean? It means that that Jesus, that God was revealed in all his fullness, his kindness, his goodness, who he is. You see, rather than revealing a God of unquenchable anger, Jesus revealed a God of extravagant mercy. Wow, what a God. His mercy extends to us not because of what we have done, but because of who he is. Because of his great love, mercy flows. You know, it says in Lamentations 3, it's a great little book, I'd read it if I was you. It's in the Old Testament, 22 to 23. I'm gonna read from the ESV version. We won't have the NIV that comes up, but let me read you this, you can listen. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are anew every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Rather than revealing a God who didn't care about who and what he had created, 
Jesus reveals a God who sent his only son to pour out his mercy upon each one of us. Let us just stand together as we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you have come to pour out your mercy. Lord, we have found ourselves short, running dry. We have found ourselves needing a savior, needing your new wine, Lord Jesus. And I pray for each one of us in this place that we would respond by inviting you to our party. For some of us, that might be the first time you've ever done that. If you feel like you're looking from the outside in, saying, who is this Jesus? Let me just tell you as plainly and as clearly as I can, Jesus came to save you. He came to bear your sins on the cross. The punishment that we should have borne, he bore for you, so that you can run into the arms of a Heavenly Father, and have eternity with Him. If that's you this morning, don't leave this place without inviting Jesus to your party. And the team, my right, your left, would love to pray with you as you say yes to Jesus for the first time. But I think for some of you, you um, invited Jesus before and you've kind of almost forgotten that he's, part, he's, he's one of the guests. You've got so used to doing things on your own that You've stopped to listen and to seek him. And I'm going to pray that the mercy of God would open your eyes to your need for him now. I'm going to pray that the mercy of God would mean that you call out to him now for his mercy. Now, if that's you, I want you to put your hand up. Everyone's eyes are closed and their heads are bowed. If you want to say, come, come to my party, Lord Jesus. I've forgotten about you. I need you. Just put your hand up. No one can see. Don't worry about people around you. But if you need the mercy of God in your life, boy, I know I do. Put your hand up. And I'm going to pray over you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I'm just going to pray for you. So if that's you, just put your hand up now. Keep it up for a moment more. Bless you guys as you put your hand up. Say, Lord, I need your mercy. Okay, you can put your hand down now. Let me just pray. Lord, I just pray for each one of those of us who have responded, Lord. And Lord, we say, Lord, we need you. We have found ourselves short. We have found ourselves run dry. We have found ourselves forgetting that you are with us. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray for each one of us now that you would come and pour out your new wine upon us, Lord that new wine to refresh us and bring joy where there's been sadness. That new wine, Lord, to flow in us and through us to cover everything, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray your new wine would run over us that we would taste and see that you are good, as it says in the scriptures. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as your new wine runs over us, we would see your glory like we've never seen before. 
And it says at the very end of this story, and they believed in him. And I pray we would believe in you like we have never done before, Lord Jesus. Lord, that you would rise up the faith in us, Lord, to move forward in new and unexpected ways for others. Come, Holy Spirit. Come now, Lord Jesus. Pour out your spirit, I pray. Let us worship together. Thank you, Lord.